Welcome to the Perfect First Layer Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we answer questions from you, the 3D printing community. My name is Guy from Guy's Shop, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, JJ and Nathan. Hello. 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 So we do depend on your questions for this podcast, and if you have one for our panel, please go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the submit page, and send it. And you can also email us at perfectfirstlayer at gmail. Dot com. Dot com. <laughs> and we also have a Patreon account. We only have one level now, and we're simply asking for a small donation to help keep this podcast going. So please go to patreon.com slash perfect first layer. So what do you have going on the lab right now? JJ. Um, a bunch of printing, and I just finished up a shoot at a local filament manufacturer. They oh. gave me a whole tour of the facilities to see how PLA filament really gets made. Um, so that was super cool, seeing it go from pellets into all the melting and extruding and shaping of the whole process. Really how, cool. how big of a factory is it? Was, uh, it, is it? was it? It's not crazy big. They only have got one line, which is, uh, it could probably fit in a normal living room or like it's a big big long narrow room type uh-huh. thing um and they only do uh 40 kilogram batches or so so nothing like a industry not crazy big um but still quite big is it all is it like custom orders for people or no it's all uh anyone can go to americanfilament.com and American order some filament they they started with the owner created lithophanemaker.com, um, if anyone's ever used that website. And then they started making lithophane custom filaments that are like specially designed for uh, sepia filaments or different filaments that are like specially designed for lithophanes. Mm-hmm. And then they started branching out into other colors after that and stuff. So they, they have a pretty good gamut of colors? Yeah, pretty good range of things. Mm-hmm. Oh, PLA, just a just a little correction. ADS. I looked it up. It's filament AmericanFilament.us if you want to find it. Ah, uh, yes, not not dot com. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said they they do like you know PLA and Petchy and Oh yeah, ABS so it's it's and... all PLA right now. All PLA, um, and then they've just started testing PetG, but it's a whole new thing to calibrate for a whole new material. So currently it's just PLA and then they just got silk filaments working. So that's kind of their newer thing. So did you come home right. with a big box of filament? I took a few spools home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I actually don't have too much room for much more filament right now. I'll just take a couple. <laughs> and it's five minutes from where I live, which is crazy. Really? So. Oh, that's cool. I can just they're, pop they're, over there. I, I would imagine there's probably something like that close to me. I've just never looked. Yeah. Yeah. It was all an Instagram ad I saw. And then I, Thought I'd shoot them an email, and they were like, "Yeah, come on by." That's cool. So, That's yeah. cool. That'll so be anything else video. other than printing in a in a filament factor tour. <laughs> uh, no, nothing crazy new. Still working on the same videos I've been working on for a few weeks now. So, which Those one is that? Changed. The resin, the resin ones. Um, it's so hard to keep working on resin printers when every time you want to start a print, you got to go out, you got to put gloves on, you got to. It's just a big hazardous waste you got to deal with. Oh man, I, I don't do any of that, it's that stuff. Not easy. Yeah, <laughs> I just I just don't get it on my hands. I guess yeah. is the way I look at it. 
I don't, I'll, I don't I'll stick with filament. Filament's way easier. Yeah, yeah. So what about you, yeah, Nathan? Set up. <clears throat> well, I've got a, a five-kilogram spool of filament printing right now. So I'm printing out a giant trash can that's kind of like a test print. Um, it's using over a kilometer of filament, or four kilograms. So it's, it's turned out pretty nice. I'm just using it as kind of like a test model to explore the limits of when you're printing that large, what are some of the issues you can come across? And I've come across a few and uh, I'm taking note of all of those things so I can have successful prints in the future. But uh, yeah, I think it's always nice to be able to print something useful and also use it as a test. So that way you're not wasting too much filament, especially when you're dealing with four to five kilograms that costs like $80. <laughs> It's an expensive I, I'm, trash can. I'm, I'm going to take a page out of your book. I bought a uh, uh, 1.2 millimeter volcano nozzle for my Sidewinder, and I'm going nice. to I'm going to put that in there and see if I can print print big and slow. I guess is yeah. the the way to do it. You don't need a large printer to do that. I put a like a 1. Two millimeter nozzle on my uh, my Ender Two Pro, so my one got point, like a one sixty. <laughs> yeah, what's up? My one point eight millimeter nozzle is on my Voron Zero. <laughs> right. So uh, it's really fun. filling out that tiny build volume as quickly yeah. as quickly I as possible. I, I look at it that I, I I've got the different machines set up to do different things, mm -hmm. so I don't have machines set up to do like anything like that at all. Yeah. So. I just figured I'd, I'd do it on that one because it has a volcano nozzle. That's the only one I have that uses a volcano nozzle. I figured I'd do it on that one. So I don't yeah. want to go through the in hassle my, change and all that stuff. Out. In my experience with the Artillery Sidewinder X2, um, it wasn't the best when I put a larger nozzle on it because the extruder is pretty much geared for the speeds that it's going at. If you want to go faster, you mm. might have to do an extruder mm. replacement as well. But I'll let you figure that out on when oh, you get man. there. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for letting me fail, Nathan. Yeah. It shows, it shows I, you really I've, love me. Well, I bought a LGX to put on there. And then I ended up giving that printer away because I, I wanted to give one that yeah. was like actually a nice printer away to someone before I started modding it and made it an unusable mess to anyone but me. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Like I said I, I I'm printing a little faster with it. I've got a a point six nozzle on it. I started printing a little bit faster, but the fan couldn't keep up with it. So I was like printing printing benchy, and it was all like and trying to do overhangs and stuff. And it was just horrible. So I I changed the fan out on it. And now it works pretty damn well. So I'm I'm happy with it. After I fixed my bed that artillery just stopped, you know, we're not going to answer your emails anymore. Yeah. They were like, guy's a smart person. He'll figure it out. Yeah. I knew, I knew what was wrong with it. I just didn't want to use my own parts to do it. So not that a thermistor is like a hugely expensive part. It's the principle of the thing. You know what I mean? So uh, anyways, anything else going on, Nathan? Um, I bought a vacuum chamber to do some science experiments with. So, <laughs> vacuum pot. We'll see oh, where, where that goes. Yeah. 
I've had you one probably of those. have one of those for like paint and stuff. But, I have, um, I have, I have one, and then I have a vacuum bag too for veneering. Nice. But I do have a, a vacuum pot. So I think it'll be fun, uh, just like seeing what it does to filament, and maybe trying to three D print some pressure vessels or something. Yeah. Sounds yeah. dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to get some questions. That sounds good. Yes. Yep. Yeah. You guys, well, last time we had a really ripping discussion about uh, glue and joining parts together. So maybe we'll, and that that's what got uh, lost in our in our episode. So maybe we'll talk about that later, but not not right. this moment, not at this moment. So this first question, and we're going to go over the questions this time that we couldn't that we did get to last week but lost them. So this comes from Calvin and he says, I'm planning to make an Iron Man suit as a summer project inspired by frankly built. And I'm not sure what slicer has better support material, cure or Prusa slicer. Almost every print will need to have supports. So this is important. What do you think JJ? I find they're really close to the same on a bunch of different slicers. Um, a lot of it is how you tune it in really well to that printer. Um, I printed out a really interesting print this week that was a, it's a treehouse model that's not touching the build plate. And so you need the tree supports to act as the tree part of that treehouse. Um, so I actually did some testing between just sort of looking at the differences between bamboo slicer and uh, Creality slicer and Cura. And they're all different. They're all a little bit different, but it's also how you tweak your settings. Um, but I think nowadays a lot of them are getting really close to the same in the uh, amount of quality you can get between a slicer. I think they're all neck and neck pretty close. So when he's doing something like this, and I've, I've, I've seen a couple of videos where these guys do these helmets. There's just these big, huge open cavities in the middle and almost the, the, the whole thing is covered with supports on the inside it looks like there's more material in the supports than there is in the actual helmet itself. I mean, I would be really worried about that, all the scarring and everything that you get. Yeah, from tree, it. tree supports have made it way better. I printed a helmet recently, and even though I did have some fails because of power outages, uh, tree supports <laughs> uses way less support than using printing a solid block in the middle like we used to have to. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think tree supports are pretty essential for saving filament on those huge yeah. helmet prints what's your what's your take on it nathan well i rarely ever use uh support material i think if you're going to print something it should fit flat on the print surface and if it doesn't you need to redesign it <laughs> I, i'm kind of like a designer at heart so i like to to fix problems that way but if you do need to use support material um I found that pretty much any slicer that I use does a pretty good job. And one of the reasons for that is that these slicers are mostly open source. So one team develops an algorithm and then the other team implements it and you end up with pretty much the exact same type of performance. Yeah, I know. I I'm mostly use, like we've talked about before, a Prusa slicer. And I've, just from doing a lot of printing with it, I've changed a lot of the settings. I don't know what they are, but I've changed a lot of the settings and it does a really good job with supports. And now I start using the, the, the 
the organic supports, they call them, and yeah. Bruce Slicer, not tree supports. I did, on my Corality K1, you know, they've got that proprietary slicer. I can't remember what it's called. The uh, Creality Print. Yeah. Creality Print. It's basically Cura. It's Cura, yeah. Um, but it's different than their other Cura-based slicers. And I printed something, and I left it with just the stock settings for the supports on something that had a lot of supports and they just came right off that i mean just they came off and it, it just there wasn't tree supports on it was just regular blocks mm. but when i got done i pulled them off and there was, you still have like that mesh that's sticking to it i just mm. like got underneath it with a with a knife and it just peeled off and it was yeah. perfect underneath I've, I've never had supports come off that good before i was very I impressed think- um, I think part of the reason why we're getting better support material uh, detachment is a lot of these high-speed printers have really powerful fans on them. And I think when you cool the material off, it has less time to like melt into the previous layer mm. and kind of bond. That makes so you sense. can make those crispy joints. Crispy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that makes a lot of sense. But I was, I, I've never had supports come up, you know, the big block supports come away that easily before. It's just always, it's always like, eh, I don't want to do it. But uh, it came out pretty well. So um, so I, I guess the bottom line is we can't really help Calvin out that much. <laughs> I would say, you know, from, from my perspective, I would just say use the slicer you're most familiar with mm-hmm. and you think you get the best results with, with your printer because uh, I know everybody's got everything tuned in a certain way. So I would just... Do what you do and, you know, trust the equipment you have before you start trying something else. If, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And to make I, guess, or yeah, I would ahead, say, uh, pick the slicer you like, um, because Cura and Prusa, they all have different interfaces. Like, pick which one you like. And especially before you start a huge print like that, do some smaller test prints to really test out your support settings. Um Make sure you have things working before you spend three days and then have some <laughs> scarring from tree supports or whatever you use. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. If you print out a like a one-quarter size model, it only uses like 164th the amount of filament just because of the way things scale. So um, you can get away with some really inexpensive prototypes that will teach you a lot, especially when it comes to support material because then you can kind of tune in how you want the orientation of the of the object you're printing on the print tray so yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. all right well i hope that helps you out calvin so we've got another question and this is from john john larue from st louis missouri he says i have a question about wiring as a result of adding dual 5015 fans to my ender 3 monstrosity i like using crimps versus soldering and i'd like to add a second fan for part cooling but it's been 20 years since tech school, so my memory is fuzzy on best practices. How do I wire a second 50 by 50 fan? Can I run two positive wires into one side of the crimp and a single positive wire back to the motherboard and then the same with the negative side? I plan on using quick connects closer to the print head for ease of of maintenance later. The slicing of the wires is planned to be further away from the print head so there's less movement on the splice combination of wires. Thanks for your help, John. I'm going to shoot this to JJ first because he's 
Mr. Electrical Engineer. So uh, yes. what's what's your quick answer for something like this? The answer is that sounds correct um, to do basically do them in parallel. That way, both of your fans will be getting the correct voltage across them. Um, and if you were to do them in a series connection, you would have half the voltage on the second one. Um, I think that's correct. But yes, you, you can do two wires connected, spliced into one wire. Um, and using a quick connect at the hot end is a great idea using those. Uh, I've started using those Wago. Wago, Wago. Whatever yeah. those are. Um, those are really popular for, I see those on Voron builds occasionally where they're really easy, quick connects for things that could need to be swapped out later. Yeah. I know, Nathan, you like soldering things together while the printhead is moving. So right. I know you're answer bored. is solder. <laughs> I get bored solving the same problem uh, the same way every time. So I like to throw <laughs> some curveballs in there for myself. Um, sure. Yeah, sometimes I'll I'll work on the printers while they're operating, but that's generally a bad idea. I only do that because I've got a bunch of printers that I'm trying to get like get rid of. I don't really care if they end up frying, so I'll, I'll just be pretty risky with them. Um, but yeah, you're, I think you're on the right track, and JJ gave you some solid advice there. You're just going to wire them up in parallel. Um, pretty much the main ways that I see people wiring up their printers when it comes to part cooling and hot end cooling is if you've got one 24 volt fan, that's simple. You just plug it in. If you've got two 24 volt fans then you plug them in in parallel, if you've got two 12 volt fans, then you plug them in in series because then you uh, are splitting the voltage across both of those fans. And if you've got one 12 volt fan, then you need to use uh, some kind of voltage dropping device. My favorite is just an appropriately sized resistor because uh, it's just really cheap and simple. But you can also get like a, a buck converter, which is kind of more complex. Um, but, you know, that'll just take some more time to figure out. Yeah, I use I use buck converters quite a bit um, because I never know what size resistor to use. Yeah, Mainly. and buck converters are fairly cheap there. Yeah, they're really cheap. You get like a half a dozen of them for ten bucks. Uh, oh yeah, the other nice thing about buck converters is a lot of them have short circuit protection built in. So you mm -hmm. probably don't test that on your printer, but uh, <laughs> uh, I've I've messed up a couple of times and they're like, oh man, did I just ruin something? But the the buck converter just saves the day. So those are pretty handy too. Yeah, it's nice to be able to adjust voltage too. Because even if you have a twenty-four volt fan, they're just running one single thing. You can still take that buck converter and use it just to slow the fan down too, without doing anything on the software side. You just mm. lower the voltage, and it'll get quieter. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm not a, a electrical genius, but I've I've always done it in in, in parallel. I've also done that just thinking when you mentioned the buck converter, being able to turn it down with uh, if you wire up LEDs to your printer in sort of a dumb fashion where it's not like software controlled LEDs, you can put a buck converter on there and then you can change. I put on my any cubic, there's a dial on the back to change the brightness of some LEDs. Yeah. On this, on this last uh, couple of videos ago, I, I did a thing where I did a bunch of upgrades on my Ender 5. And one of the things I did was I used uh, cob lights or chip on board lights mm, yeah. and they're 12 volt. 
and I actually wanted to put a physical switch on the front of the machine. I didn't want to control it through the software. I just want to be able to turn it on and off with a, with a button. So that's hooked up with a, a buck converter on the inside because it just makes sense. It'd come right off the power supply, put into a buck converter, lower it to 12 volts, and I just got a switch there. So um, anyways, <laughs> I hope that answers your question, John. So we've got another question here. We've got a bunch of questions. Thanks so much, everybody, for, for sending in questions and keep doing it. The more, the, the merrier. Yeah, more so, questions. <laughs> so this one comes from Alex. Uh, he says, hey, guys, recently upgraded to CR10 Smart Pro. I, can get so I can't get solid prints. Let, let me re-say that. I can get solid prints unless I use the front right side of the printer. I have leveled several times manual and automatic. Still no luck. Any suggestions on what I should do? Nathan? Well, I would just stay away from that part of the printer. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. So, uh, yeah, I mean, okay. there's a lot of things that could cause that issue. Um, something that has worked out well for me and a couple of people uh, especially with the Creality products that, you know, sometimes have issues, um, is having a zero offset probe mount. So there's like an offset between where the probe, the bed leveling probe is, and the nozzle is. So, you know, they're not in the exact same location, so they, they kind of have to be offset. Um, if you put a zero Y offset mount, what that does is it puts the probe directly in line with the nozzle, along the x-axis. So um, there's some weird stuff that can happen due to that offset, if it's like a compound offset along x and y. Um, and kind of the most complex problems get solved by that zero y offset. Um, so there's like specific mounts you can download for that. Can I ask a quick question, Nathan? Yeah. But if you're, if he's doing it manual, you know, with the wheels oh, okay. and the piece of paper and all that, and he's got it all yeah. level. You know, it's going to be within, you know, a, a couple thousandths of a, a millimeter there, right? Yeah. I had a similar problem with my can, Ender Five S. I was just going to say, can the can electronics really play that much of a a factor in it if it's pretty well manually leveled already? Yeah, because it's kind of the, there's a saying in engineering: garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. especially when it comes to like electronics and controls um, like that offset, like we like to think of our 3d printers as these perfect machines that move exactly on the X axis and then exactly on the Y axis. But um, your motion system can kind of twist a little bit as it's moving back and forth. And uh, your bed leveling is supposed to compensate for that. But if you're not measuring exactly where the nozzle is, then you can end up with like a little bit of tolerancing issues. Yeah, it's something super weird. I read a whole article and helped one person through it. Of if, if your x-axis has a bit of like rotational... Like a twist. A twist to that x-axis rod. Um, even though you're manually leveling it, if it's still using what the probe is trying to give you, then it can throw it off but it sounds like uh another thing going back to this person's question is it not getting the correct distance away from the print in the front right side of the bed 
Um, or is your PEI bed dirty and you need to clean it or put more glue stick on it? Or um, I've had, yeah, I don't know, weird parts of PEI beds where it just won't stick. And then soap and water can sometimes help. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. Level. Yeah. Uh, if, it, if it looks like it's, you know, laying down the, the same distance from the bed everywhere, then it's, uh, then you might have to start looking at things like that, where there might be like a spot of grease that just kind of spoiled a portion of the bed. Now the, another thing, I don't know if this is really relevant or not, but the, the, the bed can be dished in the middle, mm -hmm. either, you know, along the X or the Y, and that can cause a lot of problems because you're only testing the corners. I had a problem with the, the bed on my under five. It was like that. It was dished in the middle. Um, and I mean like 0.5 millimeters in the middle. That's why I, I tossed it and I ended up getting a different bed for it. But it was bad. And the ABL wouldn't be, it couldn't compensate for it because oh, wow. it was so, yeah. it was so great. It just wouldn't, wouldn't work right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I've had some. So uh, when it comes to that twist, it's really hard to explain without getting into a whole thing, doing like vector algebra and stuff. Uh, no, and like how these, these things. <laughs> and but, a picture so, really explains it better than I saw a picture and I was like, oh, that's what it is. Like someone was right. trying to explain it and I was like, I don't get it. But yeah. Um, so, yeah, and without getting into a big math lecture if the rod is twisted, then basically it's, it's messing with your offsets and it's, it's really difficult to compensate for it. It's pretty much impossible to compensate for it perfectly unless you're using the nozzle itself as the probing, at, uh, which the K1 and the P1P do. So you're saying it could be the gantry itself is twisted? Yeah. If the gantry is mm -hmm. twisted or the, the, uh, aluminum extrusion that the y-axis moves back and forth on if mm -hmm. those aren't perfectly parallel and level then it can is there a way to test it to see if it's got twist in it without pulling it off and, la and laying it on some true flat surface that you might have that you um, know well, of? I, yeah the quality of your measurement's going to be pretty highly dependent on how you take the measurement so I think you'd pretty much have to take it apart to check take that. Okay. Yeah, but um, the thing about having the zero Y offset mount is it kind of, uh, you know, you want your probe and your nozzle while you're doing probe while you're doing that uh, automatic bed leveling operation to be in the exact same spot. And if they're in the exact same spot, then you don't have any weird issues with the twisting, kind of throwing things out of whack. Um, but by doing a zero Y offset mount, which puts the, uh, the CR touch directly in line, uh, like directly to the left of the nozzle, um, that makes it so that your Y axis doesn't have to move at all when you're doing your automatic bed leveling. And if your Y axis was the issue with it being twisted, then that cancels it out just as if you're probing with the nozzle itself. Um, so that's why that typically ends up solving the problem for people. And it's one of those things where it like makes absolutely no sense uh, when you try to think through it logically and figure it out. And uh, once you solve the problem, it's pretty awesome because you're, you're restoring 
a printer back to being a perfectly working printer. But it's just one of those issues that's really hard to troubleshoot. But I would give the zero Y offset a, a try. Okay, that makes sense. If this um, one doesn't already, I'm looking at pictures and it looks like it's close to a zero Y offset. If I'm looking well, at the that's, right printer, but then yeah, yeah that's a typical um, sprite hot end setup. Um, it's about a forty millimeter Y offset. Oh wow, yeah, that would very much throw you off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 40 millimeters. What's 40 millimeters between friends? All right. Well, it sounds like that could be a, a solution and it's a good place to start. Um, thanks. Those are, good, those are good answers. I learned something today. I'm always learning yeah. stuff from you guys. Just last thing. Uh, the reason why the Y-axis ends up getting thrown out of whack is at least on a lot of Ender 3s, they were over-tightening the bolts. And when the bolts tightened down, it like caused the Y-axis uh, extrusion to just kind of like banana up a little bit, like dish a little bit. And uh, oh, wow. then when when the uh, V-groove wheels are rolling around on that extrusion, it like starts rocking back and forth, uh, forwards and backwards, almost imperceptibly, but uh, like a quarter of a millimeter is really going to mess with your bed adhesion. Sure. Sure. All right. Well, I, I, I hope that helps Alex. So we've got another question here and this is from Brad and it says, Hey guys, been listening for a while and just listening to a recent episode and had, you had some good recommendations. You seem to have about the Sidewinder X2 it's a good printer, but I have issues with it and had to move to Clipper. Do you guys have this problem? The problem seems to be pausing and resuming prints, so I can't do color changes. And if you lose power, you can't resume. Thanks in advance. JJ? Uh, I've not had this issue on that printer, but I have had this issue on other printers before, um, where it's just a bad implementation of Marlin. Um so sometimes if you can find a community version of Marlin out there to flash it to it, that can sometimes be your quickest, easiest fix. Um, I had one that it was supposed to, it was on a power loss recovery and it did the X axis homing and then went back over to the print and then started homing the Z axis straight down into the part. <laughs> it was nice. just like, they just did the wrong configuration in Marlin of, uh, I can't remember. I've only tried to do the, you know, where you, you pause the printer and it goes and parks and you change the filament so you can get a mm -hmm. different color. I've only tried that one time and that was on my Ender five with clipper on it. It's the only time I, I've only had to, had a need to do it one time, mm -hmm. but I tried to do it on, the, I think it was the under 5S1. And the I think it was a G-code problem. It didn't, it was using Marlin. It didn't recognize what is an M600 or G600 command or something mm. like that. And it just, yeah, that's a, it didn't pause. That's a common issue. So uh, filament changes aren't like necessary. Like you can still print just fine with it. So when a, a company ships out a printer, they're like, hey, it does everything. Look, you can print a Benchy but they don't test out like every single feature. And sometimes they leave out 
implementation of some features like that. So yeah, the M600 command is the one that tells the printer what to do when you want to do a filament change. But if the machine's onboard firmware isn't programmed to recognize that command, it'll just be like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to keep printing. So it's an issue where, uh, as JJ was saying, like the Marlin just doesn't include the interpreter for that command and it won't take care of it. Now, I've, I haven't tried on my side. Both you guys have had Sidewinders? No. I, ha I have. Uh, I think a lot have of Have you tried it on that? Um, I never try it personally because okay. I like printing everything out of one color. Uh, Boring. <laughs> uh, occasionally I'll do some, some switches and I got to play around with that a little more. But uh, what do I care if a bracket is, you know, rainbow colored or whatever? Yeah, I know. I, I'm usually just printing like single parts. But um, yeah, sometimes people will want to change filament colors. Um, and I've noticed a lot of machines just don't have the com support for that command built into it. Is there a way to do it if you, because that, when I first read this quest, this question, that's what it sounded like to me, because I had experienced that once before. Um, yeah. Is there a way to do it without that command? Well, you might be able to tell the printer to pause for like, um, you could manually enter G code in and tell it to pause and move to the side. And then what would that G code uh, be though? Well, uh, I would have to craft that manually, okay. but let's see, uh, pause. <coughs> yeah. So I feel like you, you would need pause and resume. And I think the easiest way to do this instead of writing G code would be to get a better version of Marlin. Um, okay. in most popular printers you can find at least back when I have tried before most popular printers, there's someone out there who has a GitHub repository of or mm -hmm. of a firmware, better firmware version of Marlin for most popular printers. But here's the caveat, especially with the artillery printers, um, you can't just flash firmware onto it like you yeah. can with most printers. <laughs> you have to take the bottom of the printer off, put a jumper in place, install this weird program i i went through the process it took me like four hours um, yeah you have to you have to put it in dfu mode yeah. so it's a it's bootloader mode mm -hmm. and then you have to use the stm32 programmer which is a programmer for the chip itself so that's really all you have to put it in dfu mode and then use stm32 programmer to program I mean, it you just can't I stick would... an ftf card in there and turn it on <laughs> if I knew what I was getting into before I started doing that, I would have not done it. But I made it through, and it was a learning experience, and I never want to do it again. Yeah, I've 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 experienced with the the STM thirty twos. I do a lot of stuff with home automation mm -hmm. and lights and controls and Arduinos and stuff like that. So I'm I, I'm pretty familiar with that STM thirty two programmer. Um, but you have to. You can put it in DF the the board in DFU mode by either putting a jumper cap on it. There's a place to put it on underneath, or you can use. I guess you can use Proner Face too, and type in a command and it puts it in DFU mode. Hmm. Right, and uh, I would. I was going to make a video about that, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. It's just real. You <laughs> going through it. It was just sounded so not fun. You didn't want to relive the pain. So yeah. 
It, it sounds like that's what the problem Because I know that, that Sidewinder also, I tried using it on Prusa Slicer and it wouldn't work. Hmm. There was something, in the, there was something in the startup code. Oh. It would it would error out. It would do the 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 Z or not the Z. Yeah, the 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 Z homing and then beep and then just stop. Hmm. So I went over to Orca Slicer and I tried that same exact thing. The only thing that would work with it was was Cura. Then I tried copying the start G code out of Cura and putting it in Prusa Slicer. It still didn't work. Oh wow. Huh. So I don't I don't know what all it is. I I don't really have time to sit there and screw around with it all day. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna go through the whole STM32 programming on my <laughs> on my sidewinder and I'm gonna I'm gonna flash clip around it. Yeah, I I will say I love the artillery sidewinder V um, X2. It's one of my best printers, and you know you just get it out of the box and print with it. But it's one of the least moddable printers yeah. just because of the uh, proprietary ribbon cable, um, that main board requiring the special STM programmer, and uh, just a couple other factors that make it less moddable than other printers. I, I'll say that uh, one thing I like about Ender 3s and the Ender lineup is that it's extremely moddable, super easy to like pull parts off and put them on, and you've got a thousand other people to draw experience from that have tried stupid stuff on their enders to learn from their mistakes. There isn't quite as big of a community around modding with other printer brands, but um, I was able to find enough stuff online. Yeah. I feel like a good control board is one thing that doesn't get as much of a headline um, when they're listing specs of a printer, a good control board with like a built-in bootloader is one of those things for like when these issues arise, it's so nice having just a better control board than those unmoddable ones. Yeah, I, I thought of, because I have a, a, a big true tech was an E3V, mm-hmm. whatever the hell it is, the mini the mini board. I was going to think about replacing it because you can still, even with all that ribbon cables and everything else, you can still replace the motherboard, which is kind of nice. I, so I, I'm just going to, so I'm just going to re- reflash the firmware on it. Yeah. Because it's just easier. I think it's easier anyways. I hope that helps a little bit, Brad. I know we didn't give you a solid answer there, but it sounds like it's a, it's a the, the, the firmware doesn't understand the G code. So Clipper does. Yeah. And uh, Brad's mm-hmm. out of the situation because he's already put Clipper on there, which is highly advisable if you're yeah, that's half the battle. All right. So this question comes from Wayne and it says, hi guys, it's Wayne again from the UK. Just wondering, hi, what, again. You, <laughs> just wondering what your thoughts on IDEX machines. I uh, was thinking of getting the Solval SV04 and keep up the great show, Wayne. Well, thanks, Wayne. Either of you guys have an IDEX printer? I think you do, don't you, JJ? I've got one. Um, Nathan? I don't have one. I might be getting one soon, but um, not at the moment. Okay. Why don't, why don't you give us some of your experiences with your IDEX printer, JJ? Yeah. So I feel like a, an IDEX printer is an amazing idea. <laughs> like having two of everything on there seems like it should make dual color printing so much easier than trying to do filament swaps or this or that. Um, but the problem is when you're tuning it, you now have to 
it's like tuning two and a half printers. And so there's just so much more complexity. Um, you got to do the whole XY offset between the two nozzles so that they align the parts correctly. And then tuning in everything, just like they have like built in software or something that, cause I know they use like a comb pattern so you can see where the, everything is making sure it meshes up properly. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's calibration tests you can run through, um, that should make it easier, (laughs) but it's still the, at least the, and I think the one I had wasn't very good. Um, and just kept having little issues crop up with it. And every time you get a weird issue, it's like, oh, now I have to change this extruder setting on this side and then go over and change the extruder setting for the right side. Um, and just, it's a lot of calibration. Which, Mine which, wasn't working great. Which one do you have? <laughs> it was the We Do something. We do. I just like saying We Do. Yeah, it's, it's a, a fun name. Yeah. <laughs> we Do. But their IDEX printer, it worked great for a while. And then once issues started cropping up, you have twice as many issues now because there's two extruders. So it's basically sitting in a corner somewhere collecting dust. Collecting dog hair. Dog hair. <laughs> At least they're doing it independently. You know, you yes, got two yeah, extruders yeah. independently collecting dog hair on one uh-huh. machine. Yeah. If, if you could fix something on that machine, you say to the engineers, you know, if you yeah. did this, it would make a big difference. What, what, what would that be? I think putting better extruders, it has the cheapest extruders ever on it. Uh, like they're plastic Bowden type, uh, you know, like the cheapest, oldest type you've ever seen. Um, so like the Soval one, it has at least some direct drive extruders on there, um, which gives you a lot more control on things. The motion system was fine. I also wish I could put like Clipper on or just better software on it. Um, yeah that'll be a big part of whether it's a good one or not. I I don't see a lot of IDEX printers out there. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the reason they're hard to implement for a inexpensive price. I don't, I don't ever, I hate using the word cheap. I think inexpensive is nicer. Um, But I don't think it can, it can be implemented properly for, you know, little money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think one of the big issues with IDEX printers is 3D printers rely on a high level of relative precision. Um, and what I mean by that is if you just have one print head, if you tell the print head to move over one millimeter, you're pretty much like 1.00 millimeters away from where, where it was initially. So, um, you know, you're able to, to get things like when you're laying two lines of filament down that need to be right next to each other when you're doing perimeters. They need to be touching, otherwise you'll have layer adhesion issues. Like you need that level of relative precision, but they don't have absolute precision. They're not built sturdy enough to be as precise as like a machine tool, like a, an end mill or um, a router even. So when you throw in a second extruder into the mix and you're off by even 0.1 millimeters when you switch over, then you're just the print's just not going to work at all because you're going to have a gap there with no bonding and um, it's just going to run into issues. So I think the main issue is that you're if you start with a cheap machine architect, I mean, sorry, an inexpensive machine architecture <laughs> that's kind of wobbly and has little bits of imprecision built into it, 
and then you start trying to switch between hot ends, then normally, you know, if, if you are 0.1 millimeters off and your whole benchy is shifted up and to the left by 0.1 millimeters, that doesn't matter. But when you have a second extruder in there and they're, they're not moving or registering to the same locations, then it becomes a, a big issue. Yeah. There's, there's other, other, um, avenues for multicolor printing out there other than IDEX. I know Prusa has their MM3 or MM2 or MMU or whatever the heck it is, the multi-material unit. I think that does like five colors, four or five colors. Bamboo, of course, has the AMS and that has four up to 16, which is a lot of different colors. Um, on clipper machines, you can put the enraged carrot rabbit feeder or something like that, the enraged rabbit carrot feeder. And that has, you can put as many different colors as you want. But all those, with the exception of the AMS, I think there's another one called, it's like the, it's just like a little box. I can't remember, like the, pa- the palette. Oh yeah, the palette, mosaic palette. Yeah. yeah. Um, you see all that stuff and it's like, why isn't this stuff more prevalent why isn't if it's such a great thing why doesn't everybody have it it's because they don't work (laughs) every time i watch a video on something it's like yeah it kind of works but it kind of doesn't and the only one i hear about people have good success with is the ams so one day i will get an ams and not for dual color just so i don't have to go out in the garage and switch filaments when i want to switch you're going to need to get a bigger cardboard box I know that's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem, but I can build a better cardboard box. That's true. You have all the tools. I have all the. I have all the table saw, wood glue. (laughs) Yep, I've got plenty of glue. We don't want to. We don't want to go on that road again. All right. Well, I hope that helps, Wayne. So, I guess our recommendation is uh, think very heavy before you invest. Especially if, this is your, here. especially if this is your first printer. I think at the end of my review was like, you could get this working. Like if I, this was my only printer and I really cared a lot about getting this working, I, I could spend the hours and hours tuning it in. Um, but if this was my first printer I ever owned, that would be such a hassle to do. So maybe yeah. not a great first printer for someone because of the amount of tuning and issues that can arise. Maybe if you know you're you're a guy like like we are, you like messing around with that stuff. You buy it knowing that it's not good, and you are going to have to spend time fixing it. It's, it represents a challenge. Yeah, right? I always recommend to get started with something that works out of the box. So <laughs> you, <laughs> well, he didn't say um, it's his first printer. Yes, he didn't mention it, but he's. Just I wanted to put that one out there yeah, for people yeah. who might be looking at one as your first printer. Because okay. you're, you're like, well, I could just buy for a little bit more money. It looks like I'm getting two printers in one. And it's like, oh, yeah, there the, are some downsides. The other big issue is slicing multicolor models. Like you have to get two STL files that you upload in the same position and then tell the, the thing to treat one as one material and the other as the other material. I think um, in the Bamboo Lab ecosystem, it's a lot easier to just like paint on colors that you want. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, the slicer is another aspect worth considering with the increased difficulty getting those to work. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've got time for one more question. Let me see if I can find one that isn't too deep. Uh, we can talk about anything for hours. So okay. here, we'll just get, let's grab the next one. This is from Lewis. It says, I hope y'all are doing well. I started listening to the podcast a couple of weeks ago and I'm loving it. Oh, thanks, Lewis. I love hearing the advice y'all give to anyone about everyone about the printers. I actually had a question of my own. Nathan, this is directed to you, Nathan. I've yeah. seen every video you've made for the S1. I was wondering if there are any upgrade mods you'd add to it now with the recent release of products in 2023. For example, Sonic Pad, uh, Big Tree Tech Pad 7, and mainboards. Lewis. I assume he's talking about the Ender 3S1. Uh, I've also made a couple videos on the Ender 5S1, which I yeah. like both of those printers. Yeah. Um, well, the obvious mod that you'd want to go get is head over to NathanSellsRobots.com and get a modder board. <laughs> uh, that's the product I make to make uh, the Ender S1 series more moddable. But um, in all reality, I would probably actually steer you towards one of the bed slingers coming out that has Clipper built into it. Um, I think you get a lot more bang for your buck if you just buy a machine that has Clipper uh, and I probably wouldn't have bought, like in today's market, I probably just wouldn't buy the Ender 3S one. I'd be looking at things like the uh, uh, Soval SVO7 and the Neptune 4. These are products that are coming out that are less expensive or maybe similarly priced as the Ender 3 uh, S1, but it comes with a clipper interface built into it, and you can get some crazy speed out of those. Well, I, I guess I guess the the let's say you were, didn't want to get a new printer, and you just uh, wanted to mod your Ender three or Ender five S one. He doesn't really say which one it is. It just says S one. Yeah. What what you went to that show in uh, Chicago, so you've seen a lot of the new stuff that's going to be coming out this year, and obviously you're on top of everything that has come out this year. Is there any of those mods that you've seen? that you think would be very appropriate for one of the Ender S1 series machines? Well, um, I think probably the Sonic Pad is one of the best upgrades you can get for the Creality products, just to get them running with Clipper, um, just because of how much extra performance you get out of your machines and extra modability. Like, instead of having to recompile your firmware when you add something to the printer, um, when you have Clipper installed on the machine, you just change like one line in a text file. And it takes a while to figure out how it all works, but overall you end up saving a lot more time and having a lot better control over the machine. So like if you want to specifically get into modding, I think probably getting it on Clipper would be uh, a good option. And the Ender, uh, like as far as the Ender series is concerned, the best way to get Clipper on there is with the Sonic Pad because you don't have to know really any programming you just plug it in and it switch it over through. yeah it's it's yeah. a really super even i can do it it's really <laughs> right. super easy and uh that's a huge change from what we used to have to do where you buy a raspberry pi for 200 dollars, and then you spend like the next day flashing all sorts of different software packages onto it and downloading things and trying to get it to work uh the sonic pad just makes it super easy to to get going yeah. 
Do you have any uh, suggestions? Yeah, the other Richard? option is the the that he mentioned was the pad se- the big true tech pad seven, um, which is another great one. I've got one. I've unboxed it, but I haven't actually done the flashing of it. Um, but the Sonic, if you already have Creality printers, the Sonic Pad makes Clipper super easy for that. But if you have a different brand printer, or you think you might ever add have different brand printers, I think it might be a little bit e- easier to use the Pad Seven. Um, for a broad range of printers and it's a little yeah. more. So it sounds like things. you guys are, are all on the clipper train. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, well, he's, I talking am, I, I don't, I don't yeah. want anything but clipper on my machines. So for someone who wants to mod and tune and exactly. dive into yeah, it, and tuning. clipper is the best for, changing and dialing and all the things you can do with it. Well, let's, let's, I'm going to, I'm going to step into Lewis's shoes here. I'm ask a question. Let's say I know nothing about Clipper and I don't have $150 to buy mm-hmm. a Sonic pad. Yeah. <clears throat> there's, there's things you can do with, you don't need a raspberry Pi to install Clipper. There's things out there for 30, 40 bucks that will yeah. work fine. So, what do you guys think is would be the best resource for Lewis to learn about Clipper? The Clipper documentation is very good and it's very thorough, but unless you're an engineer, it makes it's hard it's a hard read. It's like reading legalese. You can decipher it if you try really hard to and you don't understand it. But there well, I'm an engineer are, there are some there are some so. YouTube videos out there and magazine articles and web articles and things like that that do walk you through some of this stuff. Would you guys have a recommendation for Lewis on any of that? Cause I, I do. So I'm wondering if you do. Yeah. I've got a video that steps you through installing it on a raspberry Pi. Um, or there's a bunch of other YouTubers that step you through. Um, is there, I guess I'm saying, is there one in particular that you know uh, of? Modbot has a bunch. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones that I've watched. What's what's your recommendation, guy? <laughs> Actually, it's a it's a a web article on oh, all three really? DP. Yeah, that's where I first installed Clipper. Mm-hmm. They have a step by step, you know, do this, do that, with an explanation. And I'd rather sometimes watch I find TikTok. it's easier to read stuff. What's that, Nathan? I'd rather watch a hundred TikTok videos that take me through it step by step no. in in fifteen <laughs> second increments. Yeah, there's uh, there's different forms of media, and I think we're transitioning more towards short term con- uh, short form content where that's not uh, something that you could easily communicate in in fifteen or thirty seconds. So a web yeah. article makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's also mods that you can do that don't involve changing the firmware at all. My favorites are just nozzle upgrades and part cooling fan upgrades. Those really help increase the um, the performance of your printer, and you don't have to change any of the the underlying code on the the machine. You just yeah. put bigger fans on there, maybe throw in a, a CHT nozzle. Those are I made a lot of videos about that stuff, and those are kind of my favorite types of mods because you don't have to do any of the software or electrical stuff other than wiring in new fans if you're doing that. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I I always seem to change out one at least one fan on every printer I get. <laughs> um, 
sometimes all of them. They're just so damn loud sometimes. So, all right. Well, I, I hope that helps, Lewis. And uh, I think that's going to do it for this show. And uh, remember, we really need questions and participations from you guys, the listeners. So make sure you go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the Smith page and ask us. Or you can email us at perfectfirstlayer at gmail.com. All right. So make sure to go there. And uh, Nathan, why don't you tell everyone where you can be found? I'm on YouTube. Just look up Nathan Builds Robots. And uh, I'd also like to add, we really need your guys' questions. Otherwise, we're going to have to have Guy come back with his 20-minute wood glue lecture oh. for the next episode. You seemed like you were so into it, too, Nathan. <laughs> I, I thought it was interesting. I, I just don't know well, about our, everyone else. Our, our, well, it wasn't about, necessarily wasn't about wood glue. It was just about glue in general. Glue and adhesives right. in general. You know. general. Alright, so if anyone adhesives. if anyone wants to hear it, at, send us an email saying yes. I want to know more about glue. <laughs> JJ, where can where can everybody find you? You can find me at on YouTube at JJ Shankles. That's where I'm almost every day printing. All right. And I can be found at Guy Shop on YouTube or just about any multi or a, any social media platform or guys would shop. So, all right. Thanks so much for listening and uh, we see you guys on the next show. All right. Bye. Later.